back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Total Celebrity segment. I'm excited first to welcome to the show my co-host, Kim Sorrell, author of Love Is. Kim, how are you? What's going on? Neil, I'm doing great. Thank you so much. How about you? I'm doing fantastic. We have a wonderful guest today, excited about her latest project and to learn more about her as an actress. Go ahead and introduce her. Oh, my word. I've been so excited for this, Laura. I have to tell you, I watched the first episode of The Fool's and I've seen you in so many other things. You have been acting for years and have been in tons of different kinds of roles. And every single one of them, you just nail. Oh, and I am you. so pleased to introduce you and so happy to have you on our show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you for inviting me. I'm, I'm like so thrilled to be here with you. Absolutely. Yeah, so... Uh, you got started young, right? Well, You've been acting yeah. for a lot of years? I started when I was a teenager, pretty much, back in Mexico, my country. Wow, yes. And what, what got you interested in acting to begin with? Well, I was exposed to art at a very young age. My, um, my aunt loved theater, so I used to go every weekend to go theater. And then... Um, I went to concerts and other things because one of my uncles was also like a director of Casa del Lago in Mexico. He's an architect. And I was exposed to art, all kind of art. So when I went to a high school, um, my first class in high school was directed, uh, the, the, the coach was Alejandro Vichir, that is a very well-known director in Mexico. Actually, he's the father of, of uh, this guy. Oh, my God. Um, Demian Bichir, that he was um, nominated for an Oscar not long ago. So when he saw me the first time doing an um, improvisational class, uh, uh, he came to me and he said, you have to go to school. You have the talent in your veins. You have to go to school. You have to, 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 to go to school for this. And I said, what? I have to go to school? You're telling me I'm already good, right? That's why you say when you're 20. But he bugged me so much that I actually... I have the bachelor's degree, like equivalent to the bachelor's degree in Mexico. Wow. Oh, wow. And learning that process of acting at that age and understanding it really helped you in the process of your career, understanding from different mentors and stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. Different techniques. And I mean, I start as soon as I finished acting school, I start. I went to a casting and I got the part and I started doing theater like in a tour all around Mexico City. So that was a great experience working with a very well-known um, actresses and actors, you know, so that, that helped me a lot. That gave me the be, base. Yeah, I had to be awfully exciting to go to your your first audition out of school and get the part. Was yeah. it a nerve-wracking experience? Or oh, yeah, definitely. Yes, definitely. My knees were like this, you know, but then some point you start controlling that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well how amazing and so you started really young and you went from theater to television what what no to movies oh to, to movies. movies pretty much okay. country, yeah all right so and then then tv then tv well actually i in one occasion i went to acapulco on vacations i was back then besides being an actor i was doing uh, uh i was a kindergarten teacher and a drama teacher so I went on vacations to Acapulco and I met this really handsome American Italian guy. I didn't speak a word of English. 
he didn't spoke a word of Spanish, but we saw each other and it was like a magnet. So he invited me to go to dance, always with somebody translating. And then uh, six months later, uh, I came to the States and I married this guy. <laughs> That's a tremendous story. And, and that connection. Was he an actor too? Laura? No, at all. No, no, no. He He's the father of my twins. So I get married to him and we got married and I have a twin daughters. Okay, great, great. Now, what do you, what do you think is your one of your favorite projects you've ever done in your career as an actor? What would you say? Oh my God, of course, this fool. That's so much fun. I mean, we were having laughing all the time on set. You know, working with these comedians is amazing because they are always saying the most funny things that you can imagine. I'm always laughing with them. So sometimes it's hard to keep your face straight when you're shooting because is they are saying something funny or inappropriate that is like is you cannot laugh you cannot stop laughing pretty much yeah. i i wondered that when i watched the show because there are so many funny people and the lines are great their writing is great your part is uh wonderful it looks like your part is so much fun it is actually yes it is so different than me i mean it's a passive aggressive mom <laughs> and so, yeah what would you say tell us the premise of your character versus who you are and the differences well i'm funny too but in a different way no you know in my house with my twins uh they still living with me so sometimes i get mad at them or i start like yelling for something and one especially one of my daughters said like mom cut it you, from the top let's do it again when she started making fun of me, of course, I laugh and I start like, okay, I cannot get mad at you guys. But yeah, pretty much I'm like more in the kind of a sweet, that that angry mom. So, um, and I'm funny too. So that's what they say, at least, you know. You are funny. There's no doubt about it. You're very funny. Yes. <laughs> and what about your twins? What do they think of your career? Well, they are a big supporters of my career, of course. I mean, and sometimes this is tough. It's very difficult to make it in Hollywood. That's the reality. And I came here 10 years ago from New York. I moved here pursuing my acting. And I remember in some occasions, I'm, I didn't have money to pay my rent. And sometimes I say, you know what? This is exhausting. I'm going to stop doing it. And they say, oh, no, no, no. They are my, my support system, my mm -hmm. emotional support system. In many occasions that I wanted to just like the boxers throw the towel and say, that's it. They say, oh, no, you have gone so far. You're not stopping now. You keep on going. So I guess that that helps also. That's nice. That's special. Family support is a, a big thing, I'm sure, in this business. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yes. And you talking about the character and stuff in this show. What Give us the premise of the show. You talked about your character, but tell us the premise of the show. Oh, well, this uh, very dysfunctional family. <laughs> uh, Julio is uh, my son that I love very dearly. And he is a guy with a, with a golden heart that helps everybody but himself. He has codependency uh, situations and things with me, with the, with the girlfriend. And um, my uh, nephew that was in jail for eight years because he's an ex-gang member, comes out of jail and then I um I let him stay in my house to help him to like um you know reform his life somehow 
and then they start bumping into each other because they have this situation that uh, uh, Luis pretty much always somehow was um, taking advantage of Julio and bullying him somehow. And now is the time to get to get back to him, you know? So that's where all the situations get like really funny when, when they are like in here. Pretty much that's that's the show about. Uh, he works in a nonprofit organization that uh, Michael Imperioli is the is his boss. He plays um, Kane, the name of the character I can remember. But um, he is a really nice. He's really nice. He really believes in the organization, but at the same time he's tough. So so it's it's funny because he he is the boss, but uh, sometimes he say very inappropriate things. Also. So pretty much that's the show about. <laughs> and it's it's and it's time, Laura, to laugh, right? It's we we need comedy to laugh about the challenges of our lives and what's happening going through COVID life, and people need to start laughing more and laughing and yes. comedy. Is that comedy a powerful thing for you, Laura? And something that you like to be? You know what is is funny that you mentioned because when I study, uh, all my teachers used to give me also uh, always um, funny parts. And back then I was so mad saying like, no, I want to be a serious actor. They say, no, you're funny. You're really funny. Now I understand that it's not easy to make people laugh. It's harder to do comedy than drama, you know? So, but when you have the, the capacity to do both, then it's amazing. When you have the capacity to do drama and also to make people laugh, then it's like a perfect combination. Yeah, what a gift. What a gift and what a gift you're sharing with us. I got to say, from the very first scene in This Fool, you can tell it's going to be a big hit. And uh, it is so funny. I, I can see why you would laugh while you're doing it. Some of your lines are priceless. Yes. <laughs> uh, absolutely. And, and the process before in some of your acting career, it's great to be honored as well. You were honored and nominated for certain things. Is that something you always dreamed about to be recognized as an actor? Well, you, it's funny that you say that we don't, personally, I don't do it to, to win awards. But in some point, I realized that what I do touch people's life in a very specific way. And sometimes people change their lives because of something that your character said or did or do. And then I think it's, it's priceless when you have the capacity to touch people's lives in a massive way. That's incredible, honestly. I think it's very important what we do as, as actors. It's no less important than a doctor or a lawyer. Or It's very important what we do in the, in the show business, definitely. Yeah, I think that that's so true. And like Neil said, people need to laugh right now. We need to laugh and we need to be entertained. You know, sometimes it's just escaping reality for the two hours long that a movie is or a half an hour show or whatever it is yeah. that we need that escape. And so we need you to be giving us that. And it's it's quite a gift that you give us. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Do you have a uh, Laura, do you have any other projects going on that you'd like to talk about? I have a couple of projects that I cannot talk about it. You know, not guys. yet. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. We understand. Not yet, exactly. Not uh, even a, little a movie that is in pre-production, like uh, 
Uh, but uh, I really hope that we have, uh, by before the end of the year, we can do this project, this specific one. A couple of uh, shows that I'm line up that I have like a, like a guest star that is that it I'm I'm so happy because of the and of course we are uh, also about I'm about to shoot the um one episode two I don't know how many of uh, the L word that I have a recurring role in that too so all right busy. yeah you're busy and different things and the best place people can find information on you is go where well, you can always find information in my um, Instagram, El Patalano, or Twitter, El Patalano, or Facebook, Laura Patalano. Either one of those, you can check out what is going on with my with my acting or my life. And uh, also, uh, where can we check out this fool? Where can we check oh, it out? Of course, you can check out this fool in Hulu, that um, premiere on the 12th. And uh, so far it's been a hit. I mean, everybody love it. And everybody's like, you know, in the social media coming in that they, they have never laughed so much with this show. And uh, I'm so happy with, uh, with the people, uh, how the people is responding to this. All right, Kim, and where can we find information on you? Uh, well, uh, my, the easiest place to find me is loveis.info or kimsorrell.com, but loveis.info is a little bit easier to remember. Okay. But I'm all over social media. I'm all over everywhere, too. Kim Sorrell, look me up. Love to hear from people. You can purchase your book right there, Kim, for sure. Yeah, so that's fantastic. I really appreciated that. You can check me out, neilhaley.com, the media giant uh, as well. You can search me there. But I appreciate it, Laura. I'm really excited for you know, continued success. And it's great to know all these projects are happening, especially with COVID and now everything's picking up. There's gonna be lots of work and so many different projects. So be ready, be yes. ready for the next opportunities. <laughs> and let's continue to hear success for this school on Hulu. And I look forward to, I'm gonna have to get Hulu. I'm becoming more and more, they uh, got the, uh, you know, going into that realm of different platforms, digital platforms and less cable. It's where we're going now. Well, I, I have everything. I have cables and every single platform that you can imagine because I have to be checking out what is going on, you know. You got to know. So then where's a, there's a part for you, for sure. Right. So I That's appreciate right. it. All right. Well, thanks. Neil, I, would say, I would say if for no other reason to get Hulu, get it for this fool. Right. Oh, but it's, it, 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 the, I mean, it has great shows. Not only this fool, yeah. but it has great shows. Hulu, honestly, I was like, wow. So yeah, yeah. You can pick up yeah, all yeah. those different things. The Hulu originals are fantastic and appreciate it. I appreciate it, Laura. Appreciate it, Kim. Thanks again, guys. Thanks. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley show and wow, uh, some themes this week, you know, talking, it's like I'm going back in time, taking a time travel of people might think of Neil, the media giant Haley, as you know, as a former professional wrestler, but you know, they never knew that I had this time period in education. If you did the Google searches, you would know I was a former teacher. I was a former uh, after-school program director, behavior specialist, all these different things. And all those things were before I became the media giant and things. But my guest today, Tara Lynn Towns, is the CEO and founder of Bullying Buddy Consulting. And she's out there to stop this bullying crisis that I have saw from years going on in schools. It is awful and the level because of cyberbullying and what I've seen with my, even family members of mine 
I don't think people see that emotional abuse is more is more is as bad as physical abuse. Tara, Lynn, thanks for stopping by. How are you? Thank you, Neil. I'm great. How are you? Good. So let's talk about this. Let's just jump right into this. This okay. is this is a this is an epidemic. This is happening every day, and there are so many, and I would say more girls than boys now, especially getting in middle school all the way to high school, but don't want to go to school every day because. Bullying is 24 7, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, before the pandemic, actually 165, this is per the CDC, 165,000 children uh, miss school out of a fear every day in our nation because they're being bullied. And now, because we've turned into um, they're online or they were online and now just returning back, but because everything turned into you know, um, social distancing and the media platform and the technical platform, the the numbers went from 67% cyberbullying now into 87. And I think it's even higher than that, just from the amount of parents I get that reach out to me on a daily basis. It has to be higher because 97% of our our kids are on online. Bullying changed. Uh after after the cyber and i have these conversations with my old show the total education hour that started almost 13 years ago i stopped doing it years ago i miss it because it was just really just a round table of educators and people discussing things and bullying was one of my biggest topics to discuss that we just don't take care of this is before bullies used to be a guy that was kind of not popular and it was a guy and they would bully other people you know in the days of uh uh you know of um Christmas story and stuff like that. That was the bully. But the bully has become the popular people. The bully has become the person that wants to just consider themselves on top. So they'll go after people who are different. And because of inclusion, because of IDEA, these kids are bullied all the time. And there's so many of them. It's just, it's awful. Right? Absolutely. Um, it, it definitely is. It's a new venom. You know, my dad's 80 and he used to say, you know, my family name is Lulu. So he would say, Lulu, you know, when when I was bullied, I'm like, dad, it was in like 1940. OK, and I'm not being funny. I'm just being real. He's like, no, but all we would do is just punch the bully in the nose and then everybody would be friends again, even him. Him. And I said, well, today, if you punch the bully in the nose, they're going to come back with a gun or someone who isn't being addressed that's being bullied that's not being helped will come back to retaliate because they just get tired emotionally. And we're, we're not teaching our children about diversity, like you said, inclusion, diversity, and we're not definitely not teaching them the proper coping skills when violation presents itself in the school, in the school climate. The kids have not figured that out yet, meaning the reason is because they've lost a social environment for a po amount of two years because of the pandemic. They yeah. are two years socially behind everyone else that usually went to school before. With the online world, now they're still living that online world, even though they're back in the classroom because it became such an online thing. They don't know what social relationships are and that they see what's on television and things like that and just think it's the normal to bully people. And, you know, uh, 13 Reasons Why really put that out there in so many ways. Uh, the if you, It was a terrible story. It kind of condoned suicide in certain aspects, but it really did prove the fact of what was happening. The bullying before you got the crap beat out in the 70s, as we're seeing some of these films that are out now. The difference is every everyone in some ways bullying somebody else. Everyone yes. doesn't understand relationships. How do you get schools to stop this? 
to say, I just saw this bullying take place and I am going to stop it right now. There's a program called Oveas. I'm not a fan of it. I'm being absolutely honest. It was out and, and these programs like, no, these are not no bully zones. You want a no bully zone, right? Yes, I'm a no bully zone. And I also am a developmental therapist. So I definitely understand about every stage of development an adolescent goes through. And even I work with adults as well. But the bottom line is that the schools, it's a liability. So they just kind of don't want to deal with it. Right. And then there aren't any federal. What I'm personally working on with my team is to get a bill or a federal law put in place um, that's mandated throughout the United States. There are state level things, but really nothing being implemented. So you have children just kind of scurrying around, being violated, and then they come and tell someone, and then the the admin or the school doesn't really do much about it. And they, and and rightfully so in some instances, they're really the teachers are burnt out. They're underpaid. They have one therapist to 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 service five thousand kids in a school. I mean, it's not even it's not even feasible. So everyone's burnt out. But I say this. Once again, I work with families who've lost children between the ages of seven, seven and 17. I have two, two new families that I'm working with now, 14-year-old, 15-year-old in St. Louis, just took their lives. The funeral for one of them is tomorrow. Yes. And, and the bottom line is, is that the schools, they claim they don't know these numbers or when it happens, they're just put on notice. But these parents have been putting the school on notice. So the bottom line is just to show them, show them the numbers. I have an app. I developed an app and it's cutting edge. We'll get to that. But that is really a big resolution. It was only a short period of time in this interview. So we're going to get yes. to the app now. Go to the app. Go. Okay. So the Bullying Buddy is a cutting edge anti-bullying and safety app. This app educates. This app reports. It records in real time. And this app alerts the parent and the school mm -hmm. and the bus driver right in its tracks when the bullying okay. is taking place. So they say EBB, emergency bullying button, and it instantly starts recording. It's voice activated. It's manual for people who can get to their phone. There's a place in it for a bystander, which I call the watcher, who can go into the app and film it for you. Everyone gets the information now. We're collecting data for this, the CDC for the true numbers. And there's education within the app. There's suicide prevention avenues and therapists listed within the app. The app is really serious. And to couple with the app, I have a Be Brave curriculum. And this curriculum is an empathy-based curriculum because that is what in my personal research for seven years, what we're lacking and what our children are lacking. Empathy and coping skills. Those are the two things that I addressed in the curriculum. Is it school districts that purchase download the app or is it more parents working with it? So the parents, we, we've uh, presented to two schools, one in my hometown. They're very interested. We have a lot of interest excuse me, on the government level, level two, I was just invited to Washington, you know, in July. So we're working on a lot of things to get it in every school in the United States. But the thing is, is that parents have the right to download this app and have it with their children. Obviously, it takes the parent and a child to, to use the app. So, or you can have three people on it. You can have two parents and a child or multiple children, but parents are loving this app and now we're working on the schools to love it too so that they can get it in there where it's part of a safety curriculum nationwide. This is what we're working on. That's powerful. That's exciting things. Where can people connect with you, learn more about you? Where, they can, where can they go? So they can go to the website is the, like T-H-E, bullyingbuddy.com. And that has all of my information. Also too, they can go to there 
Android or Apple. <laughs> we're in both stores. You can use this on a laptop. It's, it's just everywhere. And we're working on the watches. That's next, the second phase, to have it on the watches. I also have an adult version for corporate bullying, domestic violence, elder abuse, financial awesome. abuse. We're getting it out there. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, exciting times for sure. Appreciate it, Tara Lynn, for you stopping by. And it's great information. We'll have to talk next about some of the other projects, but it's good if you talked about the school bullying because I think it's such a, a situation going back to my days. It's terrible. It needs to be stopped, but workplace bullying needs to stop too. Yes. And then you're talking about elder abuse that needs to stop as well. So we appreciate you coming by. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You're, you're listening and watching the Neil Haley show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley show. And wow, as I said, if, uh, if you're looking at topics for running Tuesday, it goes education. We go into head injuries where there's a conversation, especially for my days in pro wrestling. A lot of my cohorts have had head injuries. And also if you're a uh, former pro football player or played football in any way or had a concussion, my expert today is going to get into it and how he's treating them. Dr. Charles Simkovich. Uh, Dr. Charles, how are you? Thanks for stopping good. by. Good, good. How are you? So let's talk about this, how you got involved in, you know, starting to look and explore the concussion process and looking at concussions and what they are and how we're kind of looking at them much differently now than maybe 20 years ago. But then even when we got into the extreme a couple years ago where we thought it never could be healed, that we're learning more and more about not diagnosis, treatment and moving forward for people that had multiple concussions. Well, yeah, it's uh, evolving rapidly and it's changing quite a bit since I uh, got involved in this. I actually got involved in research uh, in 1986 with a group of doctors in Brooklyn. And our focus was actually not for concussions. It was for learning disabilities and dyslexia and ADHD. And our first, uh, the first thing we looked at is uh, at the time we prevailing knowledge was that cranial bones were fused and we had to uh, dispel that and discover that they actually move. So they have a direct effect on how your brain uh, functions. Uh, one of the early pioneers in that was Dr. Donald Sutherland. He was an osteopath and then uh, Michigan state University's uh, department of physiology did start to quantify uh, movement of the cranial bones. And ironically, they they started with the least movable suture, which is the parietal suture. But there wasn't a lot of precedent at that time. So we were left to, uh, it was basically trial and error. And we ended up relying mostly on medical textbooks, Gray's Anatomy and Guidance Physiology. And we looked at the articulations and it was just trying things and seeing how, how they worked. And uh, we looked a lot to the sphenoid bone, which is a bone that's right in the middle of the skull, your brain sits on top of and it has a whole lot of impact on how your brain functions. First of all, it's the only cranial bone all the other cranial bones articulate with, which means every other skull bone creates a joint. And uh, it, your eye muscles attached to it. Your three cranial nerves that control eye movement pass through openings in a sphenoid, cranial nerve three, four, and six, the oculomotor, trochlear, and abducens. Your optic nerve, which is what sends signals what your eyes see. Okay. Uh, you, to the brain passes through it. It also houses the pituitary gland. And we didn't realize the ramifications of that. Now research shows that often the pituitary gland is torn or sheared after a concussion. Oh gosh. And that would explain why 
there's a lot of uh, organic problems tied to concussions. Now, 30 years ago, I was finding a lot of hypothyroidism on my patients and I, I got kind of laughed at. Well, now there's dozens of studies that say, hey, hypothyroidism is from concussions and caused from concussion. Retired NFL veterans, are, they're five times more likely to have ED, which makes sense. Irritable really? bowel syndrome, oh yeah, irritable bowel syndrome is now tied to concussions, hypothyroidism. Oh so uh, the list is getting bigger and bigger and the research is just uh, getting greater. Uh, you know, you also, it also houses the pineal gland, which regulates serotonin secretion, which is what's uh, uh, missed during PTSD. So I get a lot of uh, ex-military, like we've had a lot of MARSOC guys, Marine Special Ops guys come in. So yeah, the, the, it's just expanded to the point where actually a lot of this is, is now, um, you can rehab a lot of these patients and get them back to very close to normal. Wow. Okay. So let's just jump. So it's very interesting that I love hearing the process that you can rehab them to get them back to normal. Now talking about concussions, you know, a lot of talk about CTE and you can't diagnose CTE until you die. Right. Once they do the brain, the, as we saw in the movie concussion, are you starting to see specifically enough? You can identify people with CTE before that or not. Well, you can, you can jump to that conclusion that they could be at risk. Uh, you can't diagnose it as a, except with autopsy. Uh, but this is just one of the great things about uh, what we're doing. Uh, there's a process called the glymphatic system, which is the waste removal system of the brain. Uh, and Dr. Nettergaard in Rochester, New York, actually discovered the whole process. Now, we, we originally knew the CSF or cerebrospinal fluid actually uh, bathed the brain and removed the waste somehow. Well, now she's identified down to the cellular level how it happens. The CSF flows around the brain and then it takes, uh, it goes into the subarachnoid space and the paraarterial spaces, the CSF gets pushed out through what's called astrocytes in our brain into the brain material where the glymphatic system cleans the waste. All the waste that you normally think about, but also tau proteins, which is what causes CTE, and beta amyloid proteins, which is what causes dementia. And interestingly enough, current studies are showing that the glymphatic system process slows way down after concussion. So you can realize that, you know, yes, it's, uh, if you can remedy that, hopefully the waste, waste removal system starts working properly. Uh, we, we have a case now uh, from a, a patient from North Carolina after the concussion, uh, she's, it's been five years and she had a 60 second memory. There was no memory. Oh, no. And I just knew the waste had built up. Anyway, she, she's now to about five weeks worth of memory. So she's improving as everything gets cleaned out. Yeah. So yeah, we're, we're getting, and she was a tough case. She was a tough case. So you're figuring out ways to, to do something that people said after concussions, you're not going to recover. Right. Yeah. You, you, what you do is you restore normal movement of the cranial bones and uh, you stabilize eye muscle movement. You stabilize circulation to the midbrain. If you have D, it's called a sphenobasilar fault. Whenever the sphenoid rocks, uh, the uh, brain, the blood, along with the eye issues, blood is slow, slowed down to the midbrain. That can cause balance issues, headaches because of lack of oxygen, also short-term memory issues. So if you have a child in school, after their concussion, they can't remember their test taking ability goes down. It's usually something like that. The sphenoid, the greater wings can rock. Uh, it, so say, say the right greater wing is putting a lot of pressure on the right brain. Typically that's 
what's causing anxiety or depression because that's the emotional side of the brain. Uh, you know, we, we also, your jaw muscles, the external and internal pterygoid muscles attached to the sphenoid. There's a group of dentists doing uh, craniomandibular ortho, uh, orthopedics, and they're, they've come a long way, at, and they understand the causal relationship between the jaw and, uh, and the sphenoid. Matter right. of fact, they, their international conference is in October in Louisville, and I'm one of the speakers. It's the International wow. Conference of the uh, College of Craniomandibular Orthopedists, and uh, we're pretty closely with some of the doctors here locally. With the, the what would you recommend people that have had multiple concussions? Should they come see you? And what would you be able to do in treatment-wise to help them in specific ways? Well, the the, the treatment plans in the office is what I, I would I examine them and identify them, take a history, do an MRI or CT scan if, if needed. A CT sees a gross bleed, so you do that first after a concussion. MRI sees a finer bleed, so older injuries. Can't see a concussion with those scans, but you can rule out pathology. So you can rule out brain tumors, bleeds, right? You know, a Chiari, anything that's going wrong. Once that's uh, clean, the exam will tell me everything. Uh, I can identify the different cranial faults, and the treatment plans are anywhere from two days to five days. It's an intense treatment. They're in my office for about a week, and there's a lot of things that feed into that age, number of injuries. Um, place of the injury because the, the skull bones all move differently. So once I identify that, then they're in my office for, it's, it's a relatively short period of time. Uh, I had a guy from Philadelphia 30 years ago, he was in a, in a tank in the army and the hatch fell and hit him in the head, which is 300 pounds. Oh my God. He actually conscious and he had, he suffered for 30 years. Well, he's had a total reversal of all the symptoms. Uh, you know, he had, daily migraines, headaches, he couldn't read. And uh, so, oh, so a lot of this is very restorable. That said, there is such a thing as damage. I mean, you can have damaged um, tissues. So, you, you know, you at least can, some people just have damage. That's a possibility with sports and, and things like that. But most of this is restorable to a point. How do you do it? You know, do you do it in ways and exercises or is it, what is it's, it? it's all, it's all uh, manual with your hands. I'm, I'm actually working on the outside of the, uh, the skull and inside of the mouth, the pterygoid processes of the sphenoid actually extend into the roof of the mouth, which is what your eye muscles attached to. And you're actually mobilizing this. You make room in the upper jaw, the maxilla. Sometimes it's real narrow and you have to widen that to make room. Uh, so it's all a manual therapy. Then there's a, a, a rehab routine that, that we have the patients once they're stable uh, do that helps speed up the recovery. So we, we you know, three, the, the cranial bones moving pumps the CSF, your diaphragm helps pump the CSF. So we, we get a, a rehab routine that's very measured um, and it's to restore the movement of the, of the diaphragm to push the CSF to the head to help, help healing quicker. That's great. And so have you worked with lots of athletes as well that have had the retired athletes? Yes, we, we, uh, I was on staff for Duquesne university men's basketball team under coach Danny knee. Uh, I just embarked on a relationship with the NHL alumni association. I'm working with, uh, the president Glenn Healy. They're sending retired players. They, so that's just underway. Uh, so Glenn Healy is the president and their chief medical officer is a neurosurgeon named Dr. Amin Kassam. He's, He's the surgeon. He's a pioneer. He, he uh, uh, 
uh, pioneered a surgery, removing brain tumors through your nose. Mm-hmm. So they don't have to split your skull open. And uh, we've had several meetings and they're, they're starting to send uh, a lot of hockey players down. Uh, and in some interesting cases, I had, uh, if I name a name, I have permission to, like uh, a, a fellow named Rob Ray. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He had over 300 fights, multiple concussions. Oh, and, and he actually does the color broadcasting for the Sabres now. And he was telling me that before I treated him, he was just not feeling good, headachey. His vision was tunnel vision. He said, now he said his vision's gone from this to this. He sees the whole thing. And it helped him with his uh, announcing, uh, which you have to see the whole ice. So yeah, we get uh, a lot of them. Uh, uh, I have a, uh, you know, a lot of basketball players, boxers. Uh, Roy Jones Jr. was a patient of mine. Oh, really? So, yeah. So we get uh, anybody, but but ironically, um, you know, obviously because it's a numbers game, we get many, many, many more from car accidents because there's a whole lot more people driving than are playing football or hockey, and car accidents are big. Uh, cars are big, heavy uh, things that are hitting each other at a big force. And the G-forces are huge. So you have concussions with people hitting their head. And then you have what's called a coup contra coup injury where it, their head whips real hard. And oh, it's a concussion wow. without hitting your head. So the brain actually bounces off the inside of the skull. So how many people are doing what you do? Nobody. We're in the process. That's one thing Dr. Kassam and I have talked about. He said he's ready. He wants to scale this for to, to expand because, you know, I'm not getting any younger. And uh, his first goal is to scale it, to put a doctor on every NHL team doing this and then for the general public. Uh, yeah, we were kind of in a hurry. There was uh, uh, six of us on the research team. I was a young guy years ago. Now everybody's dead or retired. So there's kind of a hurry to expand this and, and expand the knowledge. So we're developing a, a residency program now so that we can have everybody. Hopefully you work with the NFL too, because they're really dealing with it. And probably pro wrestling needs it too. Yeah, I've had a lot of uh, NFL players. I was never in official capacity, but uh, I don't know if you're familiar with L.C. Greenwood. And, yes. Uh, you know, Cedric Wilson and, and Dermonte Doss. In fact, Dermonte did a nice, yeah, and many, many more that I can talk about. And then uh, Cal McNair, who owns the Texans, has flown me to Texas to look at some people. So they're aware of it. Um, and it, it will, it, it'll become, it, the results are so predictable it'll become the uh, treatment of choice for concussions probably in a short while. We just have to get docs trained. Get docs trained and get the word out, right? They want the docs to get trained, right? Well, they have to. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, that's a, that's a, that's a big undertaking. Duplicate yourself, right? That's hard. Cause you know, right. Right. And I, I got to be taken out of the clinic and put in a teaching. So, so a lot of people don't get diagnosed with concussions and then they think they did sports and had concussions or different things. How do they know that really that concussion was a problem and it's still issue for them today? Because a lot of people, if they never went to the doctors, they got their bell rung in some sort of aspect and never got treated in the 90s and 80s. Well, how do they know that they really had a concussion and they'd see some see someone like you? You'll start to see things deteriorate. And, and the symptoms from concussions are like a big menu with a lot of a la carte items. 30 years ago, when we started this, we knew it caused cognitive problems and pain syndrome. Well, the, na- the, 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 the list is getting bigger and bigger. Uh, all the organic problems I talked about, you might develop balance issues, ringing in the ears, memory, um, uh, visual disturbances. And they can be very specific. Like I have one fellow, he had a severe concussion, and the only thing happened to him is he lost his sense of taste and smell. 
I have another fella. He was in a motorcycle accident. The helmet actually saved his life. He was in a coma for a couple of weeks. Once he healed from that, um, he, he came to the office and he had a whole list of symptoms from headaches to he couldn't read, uh, you know, things like that. But the, one of the big things, the third day he came in, he said, hey, I want to tell you, my color vision is back and it's vibrant. And I said, we never told me your color vision was gone. He said he had, didn't realize it was gone until it came back, which is the case a lot. And that's actually pretty common. A lot of people, their color vision is gone, but they say it becomes bright, like reds become bright red instead of pale pinks. Uh, and, and so uh, sometimes there's such an insidious onset of symptoms because of the glymphatic system slowly deteriorating, not re uh, getting rid of the waste, that you're not really aware of it and you don't pin it to a concussion or multiple concussions. Mm. It doesn't even have to be a concussion, low-grade blows to the head. Uh, and I think Boston University with their uh, research on CTE has confirmed that. They said they're seeing more CTE in people with low sub-concussion uh, some concussive blows, multiple blows like offensive linemen than one big concussion. So they're seeing a lot more of that. Uh, one of the things, if you're having difficulty sleeping, uh, that's, a, that's a sign. A lot of uh, the glymphatic system actually works when you're sleeping because your neurons and your glial cells actually shrink 60% smaller. And so how do you define difficulty sleeping? Not insomnia, not sleeping, not sleeping soundly, having a hard time sleeping. Um, not getting sound sleep for, you know, we sleep in three, three hour cycles for a full REM sleep. So three, six or nine hours. So a lot of my concussion patients just can't sleep. And we know the lymphatic system is probably deteriorating. So that's, that's a real red flag. All right. Best place people can find information on you. You seem like you're a busy guy and there's not a lot with everyone that's been working with you, but I'm sure you're always looking to help other people. Where can they go? Yeah. Um, we have a website, Simkovich Concussion Institute.com, or if you Google, you know, Simkovich, you, you'll find it. But Simkovich Concussion Institute.com is really the easiest way to find us. All right. Well, fantastic. Appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate your time. You're welcome. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show. And, you know, we talk about specifically enough, there are always people that need help. And my guest today help is her mission definitely is to help people, Christina Guerrero. Christina, thanks for stopping by. How are you? Fine. Thank you, Haley. Thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. Let's kind of just jump into specifically enough your background, and then we'll get into a topic. And I, I was seeing one of the things you want to discuss was ADHD, ADHD. And it's a very, very misdiagnosed uh, disorder in so many ways. People have to understand there's a specific gift to it in ways as well. But I want to get more into your background and then we'll talk into more of the topic. Okay, well, I'm a board certified behavior analyst. I um, analyze all the behaviors with or without uh, diagnosis. And uh, people have this mentality that ABA is just for children within the spectrum, which is not. Because yeah. A is for applied behavior analysis. None of those A's are for autism or ADHD. Right. ABA is about how people learn their behaviors and how we can help them learn new behaviors that are, that are better for them. In ABA, I remember working with kids with autism that were very, very young, diagnosed very young, two, three, four years old when I was a TSS, and then also as a developmental therapist. So I remember completely, and ABA was a lot better of a way to create uh, a better program than the scripted other stuff that's not ABA. 
And I'm sure you dealt with that even when you have those conversations towards autism, where they were, a lot of them would go into something more scripted, not applied behavioral analysis, which really looks into the behaviors and the antecedent consequent and reward versus, oh, we're going to just kind of get them through by programming them in certain ways, right? Yes. Um, it's, everything is how people learn with or without a diagnosis. Anything that you do serves a, a purpose and you will keep doing it as long as you get what you want. So children are socialized since very young age. That's just nature that they cry and you change their diaper or you give them food or something happens yeah, exactly. uh, when you cry. The same thing when 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 uh, you you the parents smile, the child, the, the child smile back. It's all our learned behavior. When I smile, they smile back and they, they applaud and they make a party. The same thing when the little kid is walking for the first time, everybody's like, you know, making a video and doing FaceTime and everybody's praising them. Nobody's going like, oh, he's wobbling. No, 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 sit down. You're not good for, for walking, you know? So you encourage them. And that's how people learn by encouragement and praising. You make it easier. And make break into a small task, and then you praise them right away. And it's that's the way how we learn all of our our behaviors. No, most definitely. And so, give us examples when you're working. You took ABA and said, okay, we're not using this in the autism community, but with other people and things like that. Did 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 you first do it that way in your therapy, working with kids? Well, when I first, uh, when I was doing my supervision hours, I did it with foster children. And it was children that were taken away uh, by the state and they were uh, being the process of getting reunited with the parents. So it was more parent coaching so that the parents will be able to get their children back. And again, everything that we do, they were loving parents. They just didn't know any better. Okay. Because remember, parenting is the only job that you don't get fired for. You can quit, but you don't get fired. Um and uh, so where do you go when you don't know what to do? You know, I don't think nobody has a child. They don't love them. They just don't know how to love them, how to guide them, how to educate them, how to guide them. Because, uh, you know, that's something that is learned. But just because your parents did it doesn't make it right. No, that's so true. Because you just you, you never know. Uh, it's based on these specific things what works and what doesn't work and how to make things go the right way. And parents don't understand it's It's so interesting. I mean, as a, I, I would call myself working with so many kids in my career versus my own children, the, the mistakes I know I made with my own children and how I parent is be, should have known because ultimately if you know, if they know, you know, you're upset, if they know, you don't trust the direction you're giving that they're going to do it. They'll never do it. And you really have to look at the relationship between the two and understand specifically enough what makes them tick and understand what makes them happy, understand those things. And each child is different. And we think that we can run the same behavior reward, rewards or consequences with each individual child. Why does that not work? Why can't we just cookie cutter, you know, put them in all one box and that's how we do things and that's a lot of times what's happening in the classroom which is a shame yes definitely um the the main thing is that we all have blind spots okay so how do you know what is the right way this is the only way you know so you were brought up in a family 
And whatever they did in that family for you is normal. Like if anybody who was not born in the States, they, they're not used to Thanksgiving. They don't know what Thanksgiving is, okay? But for you, it's normal. So how do you explain some something to someone that they don't know? And people don't know what they don't know. And that's why you that's why you require somebody from the outside so that it's not it's not somebody that is meshed within the family, but it's somebody outside that that can give you the perspective. And everything that you do serves a purpose, otherwise you will not do it. No doubt. And everything has to serve that purpose. And if it doesn't, you know, but you'd say, okay, you could do this when you're looking at from the outside and you're giving people advice. How can parents when they're trying to develop that type of relationship things like that not get go nuts crazy scream yell give up very quickly with their chins <laughs> well first of all if they if they give up very easily if they quick kick, kick and scream all over the place they just don't only do that with their kids they do that in other settings it's just in the home is permissible because if you were to do that behavior at work you will get fired if you were to do it with your wife she will divorce you but if you do it with the children they're stuck and that's why i am so compelled to work with the children because as an adult if i don't like something i can pick up my purse and go pick up my car and just go move get another job but the children are stuck with the mom and the dad who are very well-intentioned, very loving parents that don't know any better. And I'm not to say that people do not lose their cool, like it's not okay. It's normal to lose your cool. But then you need to be aware that that child is going to be learning from you how they're going to be dealing with future relationships and how do they negotiate. So sometimes um, I, before this, I was a, um, a Montessori lead teacher as well. So I worked with preschoolers and it was great just to see the kids coming from, from, from their home to, this, to class. And you will see the kids just throwing their backpacks, whatever, their shoes go this place, you know, like you could tell, you, it was a little, as, as if I was watching through a little peephole what's going on in the house, you know? And then here are the parents like, no, we don't do this. We are nice. We say please and thank yous, but are you actually do that at home? And it's not to say that parents are bad people or they're not have the best intention. It's just when emotions are high, intelligence go low. Okay. So when you are working the whole day, you went through traffic, you yeah. have mortgage payments coming on, you know, like, or with COVID, everybody was stuck in the house. And, and now you have this child that is having a bad day and you're like, oh my goodness, you know, what else can I possibly do today? At that moment, I'm pretty sure the psychology will walk out, out the door, you know? So based on what you're saying, then what, what, what do so you're really working with the kids? What do you teach the kids so that they can deal with those things? So is that more of your behavior is more working with the child, not the adult or both? Okay. Actually, I can never work with a child in a vacuum because the child is a white page is blank. The, the, the child is just what you put on that page, okay? So yes, when children have symptoms and they misbehave, they come to me, okay? Uh, but they learn that behavior somewhere, okay? Now it's very difficult for anybody to see themselves in a mirror. But if we are very honest with ourselves, if the child is having a tantrum, where else can, have they seen them, okay? Mm. And if they haven't seen it from you, because it's possible, it could also be that it has worked in the past. So every time I throw a tantrum, you come and, and give in. So why wouldn't why would I stop doing the tantrum? It's working for me. So when the parents come to me, they usually come because they're about to get kicked out of school or they beat somebody or they just got diagnosed and they don't know what to do with the child. 
And um, there's so many things that they don't notice that, you know, I am not emotionally invested, so I can I can see it from the outside. So every time this child misbehaves, that's when they get attention. So I'll, I'm going to do it because, you know, I have nothing better to do. I have no mortgage payments, no worries in the world, but any, the only thing keeping me away from what I want is my parents. So, Absolutely. Uh, let's think about this now. Best place. Uh, this is such great information. Makes you think because the parents, we need someone like you. Or do you work with people only in your specific area or do you work with them across the country? Parents. So. Um, I'm in Florida, in Miami, Florida, but I do have cases online. With okay. yes. Where can people check you out and find information? I'm in Facebook uh, and also in Instagram, CGF underscore at ha- CGF underscore. <laughs> Excellent. Do you have a website too or not? Yes. Alternative-behavior.com. All right. Fantastic. And I like the way you're looking at the alternative behavior because again, never thought of this. If kids are doing certain behaviors, they might've saw it at home or they could have seen it in school. You have to identify and pinpoint that idea and say, where are they learning this? And then are we giving them the result they want from what behaviors they're doing? Yes. There you go. And that's important. And as adults, we do the same thing. If we're going to be upset, we're not happy about something. It's because of specifically something we've learned before, or we think we're going to get the result we want from doing what we do. Everything that we do is a learned behavior because we didn't come out of our mother's womb doing anything. So everything was learned. Okay. In my case, I, I speak with an accent because I my first language is not Spanish. So I had to learn English. Okay. And every time you learn something, you are able, you pivot, you're able to learn more things after that. But as long as I'm living in Miami. I don't have to speak English because everybody speaks Spanish. Okay. Okay. Now, if I want, if I want to go the extra mile, is because I wanted to be, you know, open to more, more national. people, yeah. national, not just here in Miami. Um, so you have our brain is, our brain is designed to keep doing the same thing over and over again. Okay, to conserve energy. So nobody wants change except if you're a, a toddler with a with a wet diaper. Yeah. So when you tell the parents, okay, how about if we if we um, reassess the behavior or if we pay attention before the behavior happened, okay, then that requires the parent to do everything that they do in addition to paying attention to what they're doing, being aware, paying attention, okay, um, and tell me if this doesn't happen. Usually, kids are in their in their TV room watching TV and every everybody's quiet, okay. Nobody thinks of checking on the ch- the children because they're behaving they're watching tv now there's a fight and you hear something breaking or something you know screaming and we run to the room what happened what happened right these children have nothing better to do so now that i have your attention you know that that that's what exactly what i needed and you just gave it to me when when i misbehaved all right fantastic appreciate you coming on christina excellent information People need to definitely contact you and thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You're welcome. You're watching and listening to the Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment.